Bombside Chats, a podcast where, every week, communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, for our News Roundup episode, we sit down to discuss the ongoing storms, hurricanes, and earthquakes, their effects on Puerto Rico, Kid Rock, Juggalos, and the end of the world. I'm Jake. I'm with Communist League Tampa, and joining me tonight is Grant. Hey, Grant here. Donald. Hey, it's Donald. And Lexi. This is Lexi, giant chunk of spinach in the teeth of the universe. So, uh, let's talk about the news. Let's talk about dun, dun, dun. all the news. Um, so, episode. Yeah, um, it's weird because Yeehaw. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like the the world's falling apart, and I feel sometimes like everything that's happening like in the news is like some elaborate hoax, and like there's just like some authoritarian government that like makes all the decisions like in some small room somewhere in like a data center. And everything else is like a virtual simulation that's basically just designed to exclude us from like the decision making process completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Go I mean, on. Go on. Yeah. And, and the algorithm broke. Hashtag yeah. relatable. Yeah. Well, no, it's, and I don't actually like literally think that, but that's like a. Oh, you don't. Uh, uh, me neither. I, I totally didn't agree with that. <laughs> Take the red. We pill. needed some Adam Curtis music for that sequence, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing it is, turned it, out the experts were wrong and the machines weren't working. But no, yeah, that, dum, dum, dum. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it would be yeah in the Adam Curtis film. Yeah, exactly. Like it wouldn't work, and it would be like, but something strange happened over the course. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a better movie, IMO. Um, so I guess there was a almost a hurt. Well, there was a hurricane in Florida, but it, like it was predicted to be like this apocalyptic thing. Yeah, so what the fuck happened? So, you know, during the course of it, I found out that I'm not nearly as like prepared for the apocalypse as I thought I was. Um, well, no it, one is. It's, I mean, it's real. Well, I like We're to think, you know, you, you watch, you know, like The Road or like The Walking Dead or something and like you play your mind game where you're like, yeah, and then I'd go get my cash of shit. And then I'd get on a motorcycle that I'd have stashed, you know, and like you, you have like your checklist of like things. Yeah. But then, yeah. Like it actually looks like it's going to, something's going to happen and you don't have anything. And then you go the to the store. Crowdfund a motorcycle cash. No. And then, then you go to the store and there's just all these mouth breathing morons like walking around with like a two fucking shopping carts full of water bottles and everything that you could possibly use during the storm is like off the shelves already. So you just go buy bullets and it was just what I did. Like I just went for some reason the bullet caches were still there, so I just bought a couple cases of ammo. Wow, they didn't they didn't get all the bullets? Well, here's the thing. At the at the at the Walmart I was at, like the uh, the place was understaffed where like the in like the sport like the sporting goods section. So I had to wait for a long time to get some and I don't think anyone else wanted to wait because they wanted to go get bread and stuff. Well, Le- Lexi and I aren't from Florida, you know, like, there's enough bullets in Florida, always. I'm pretty well, sure there's an unlimited number. It depends on what part you're in, because there's some places where you have to be there, like, first thing in the morning, like, in line, to get your bullets. Because people, like, especially during periods of, like, speculation, where, like, Obama says there's got to be gun control. Like, then you have to, like, queue up, because people, like, flip the bullets and sell them, like, for more expensive than they're being sold at Walmart. But anyway... Yeah, so it, you're in Florida, and, like, you know, everybody's freaking out. Like, you you start driving places, and, like, you realize you see more and more places have, like, plastic wrap around, like, the the, uh, the gas stations so you can't get gas. And it just gets, like, really, really eerie. And then you look at the map, and you realize that you're in, like, this bottleneck, and there's only one highway out. You know what I mean? And Yep. That's why I didn't leave because it's it's one way out, and so the best you can do is get to a part of Florida 
where it won't be that bad. Yeah, and just this weird sense of like dread starts to set in, like, and then you're like watching, you're watching the storm track, and it just keeps every time like it moves closer, and the eye of it moves closer and closer to like where you're at, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that that was my experience of uh, of the hurricane, and then it was that, but that was fine. Like like the place that I live literally never lost power like once. Um, oh yeah, I I ended up staying in Florida, and I lost power. But then I went to bed and I woke up and power was back. I took a direct tornado hit at the house I was at. That was crazy, but nothing got destroyed. It was just a, it was just a really intense experience watching the the storm. I just read a lot and it was it was it was nice. What were you reading during the storm? Um, fuck, what was I reading? I was reading. I've been reading shit about American history. So long story short, um, I gotta double. I gotta uh, double down on my survival prep. Put that higher on my queue of priorities. Yeah, zombie apocalypse is going to be a sorry occasion. So that was that was my experience of it, um, and then it did. But it did hit. You know, it hit in Naples and like the lower part of the state pretty hard. But the places that really got it bad was like in the Caribbean, um, and I guess Puerto Rico got hit twice. And now they're not going to have power for like six months. Yeah, yeah. We're as of recording, we're we're sort of in the midst of Hurricane Two for Puerto Rico. Jesus. It looks and it looks tonight uh, as we're recording this, which is uh, September the twenty second. Uh, it looks tonight like there's an issue with a dam uh, that's affecting two different areas. Uh, Seventy to ninety thousand people in danger as a result. There's. Uh, the flash flooding that that you know sort of we saw all, all over the news things like that so and and really though this isn't just puerto rico getting hit by a hurricane it's it's puerto rico getting hit by a hurricane and by years of its relationship with the united states federal government well here's and, the problem the grant. it was left with as a result here's the problem grant um 50s are nice round even number and you know you don't want to fuck with that just to add another island. I mean, part also, of the mainland. There are there are brown people there, and especially our current president doesn't care about that. So well, I'm not expecting much of a response. I mean, there was the other thing too that was kind of interesting was when all, especially at the height of like the imminent like hurricane like coming to like the mainland U.S. There were like three on the map like back to back. And I saw somebody pointed out online that it looked like a still image that happens like at the beginning of the day after tomorrow, that like shitty global warming panic mm, Roland Emmerich movie from 2004. And it literally looked just like, like the in the in the still frame from the disaster movie, like the hurricanes were a little closer together, but the pattern was pretty much the same. Um, oh, good. Uh, the yeah, disaster yeah. movie scenario is right. I thought it was more interesting after the hurricane where everything was closed except for like one Winn-Dixie where the majority of shelves were not stocked. And so it was just like people grabbing what they could get. Yeah, well, and and the other thing is too, at the same time there were those wildfires going on in like the Northwest because the trees are drying out and they're getting eaten alive by uh, 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 invasive species insects, (laughs) like basically causing like massive deforestation. And then you got, and then there was that earthquake oh. in in Mexico at the same time. Right, there's the earthquake in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, and at the same time, it, like I guess in in Chiapas, like the well water's running dry because Coke, the Coca Cola plants, like took all their water, <laughs> and they don't have like rainy seasons anymore that are consistent, so it's harder for them to collect water. Some people have to go like two hours to get water, and so like all this was going on like at the same time, and it was just like. Can we please turn the simulation off now? <laughs> like, you forgot the earthquake in Japan. Oh yeah, there was that one the too. Six point one in Japan. How Jesus did the Christ. world not end recently? How are we still here talking? Well, I had the, like, the same conversation in a, in a in a in an ice cream shop last night. Well, and you know what? And fuck all those morons who are like. Oh man, thank God, 2016's over, man. That year was just the worst. It's like, 
did you did you really think it was going to get any better? Yeah, come on. Of <laughs> course, twenty seventeen was going to be worse. Did you think like having like Trump in the White House and just like an every you know everything accelerating further, like somehow like everything was going to be was going to be fine compared to the previous year? No, you're out of your fucking mind. Like no, every what's year, what's going to happen is Trump is going to spark the revolution. You know, it's going to be so insane, but you know, people are just going to. Start communizing. Listen, listen. You guys' Marxism has gotten teleologically, but in inversely, uh, just a little teleological. It's not going to get worse every year. Okay, I'm just asking for a little respite this year. It could be better this year, even though the overall pattern is tending towards apocalypse. I know that, but just I'm just looking for a little break. You know, like wait, wait. You're still holding out hope for look, 2017. Do you realize what month it is? Hear me out. If it hasn't been out. good yet. But look, all right, last year I had like, you know, two deaths, a cancer. This year, only one death so far. Okay? So I'm I'm holding out hope. All right? This year we have the Guided by Voices song. I'm holding out hope, okay? This year we have the anniversary of the Russian Revolution, though, so. Yeah, Yeah. I guess everything's fine. I mean, it's just depressing. That that just makes me think of what could have been. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's where the yeah. real that's where things really went off track if you think about it. Don't don't cry that it's over. Smile that it happened. <laughs> I mean, look, a hundred wall falling. A hundred years ago, all right. A hundred years ago, my God. I think I forget who just said it. A hundred years ago, capitalists were actually afraid that they were going to be like strung up and killed. This is, you know, that's pretty incredible. Like hundred years the ago, world. honestly, is not that long in world historical terms, too. Yeah, but we're not world historical things. We're we're going to die in a hundred years. No, 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 blah, blah. That's not. But seriously, that's an optimistic projection. But go on. This this um. <laughs> hurricane madness and natural disaster madness is definitely very worrying and the thing is that capitalists see it just as like one big investment opportunity they, it really is because and that's what concerns me about it because i really think that this this kind of like the disasters that will be wrought by ecological catastrophe could for a period in precisely the period where some people seem to think the reforms will be possible because there'll have to be structural adjustments to the infrastructure in order to ad- adapt to climate change. What it could just end up doing is being a necessary form of physical capital devaluation that could help to basically juke up accumulation. <laughs> so yeah. like that's my very like pessimistic uh, yeah, mean, running scenario. Is, you still have to socially reproduce society. So... To some degree, like things will have to keep running to a way to where people can still make money. But I don't know. They may make their money and return home to the shanty town anywhere. Well, well I mean, they'll have, to build, they'll have to build more luxury housing inland for sure. Like a lot of like these coastal high rises are basically like that bubble's going to burst in a couple of years anyway. Well, those things are going to fall the fuck off the earth. Yeah. It's going to fall directly into hell point is that the rich are going to find ways to cope with this climate change stuff yeah that is going to make dealing with it for a majority of people way more difficult then we need to look into the modeling for like in the decades you know and like what spectrum of a world that we can expect because you know if ceteris paribus all things remaining equal our pretty faces are going to hell. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's, you know, that's what kind of freaked me out, too, about, you know, sort of being in the storm was that, you know, it really clear. I mean, I kind of knew this before, but it really clarified for me, like, the reason that people don't evacuate is because people are called into work to, like, literally the day before the storm hits. Yep. Like, did you guys see that, like, Facebook post where, like, Pizza Hut, like, posted a thing? Uh, some post a picture where at Pizza Hut they posted a notice to their employees basically saying like, "Dear employees, um, we know that you need to take care of your families and it's your safety, and that's important to us. But uh, we also Hut. need to we need to Stop serve the crust. We, we need to serve our community. <laughs> we need to serve our community. <laughs> Tasty, delicious pizza. 
Holy shit. No, yeah, th- this is a literal notice. So they were having people work. They basically wanted to like clo- like close the night before the hurricane hit. Like it was fucking insane. And so it's like, yeah, that's every, like because you always see that, hear that from conservatives, like after a storm, and like people get trapped in New Orleans or or uh, fucking Houston or wherever. It's like, well, why didn't they evacuate? Why didn't they evacuate? It's like it's because you don't get amnesty from work if the shit hits the fan. Like they they'll call you in until the last minute because nobody wants to lose a dime. It's fucking unreal. And they don't give a shit. They don't care. Like, no, you would in order in order to manage ecological catastrophe well you would have to have a planned economy like it would it, it, it would become increasingly a necessity just dun, as like dun, dun. something that no something that was basically necessary for human life because in order to have any kind of like mass evacuation that functioned in a humanitarian insane way and got people safe you would have to basically be planning the economy which is interesting to see because in, like here we have this governor rick scott um, he's like such an at like a hardcore capitalist, like small business asshole. Like he basically turned down a free federal government paid for um, light speed rail um, in order in order to give a fuck you to Obama. That was one of his first things he did when he was governor. But even he basically, even he was aggressively going after price gouging um, and basically like created this hotline so that there was no price gouging. Which again, you're basically implicitly admitting that in these situations you have to plan the economy to a certain extent. You have to introduce price controls. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting and how that sort of, you know, even in like this dude who is pretty a pretty extreme right-wing asshole pretty much the entire time he's been governor um, took, you know, was something that kind of violates the, uh, the sanctity of the market. Look, neoliberals, ev- everyone knows that the state sets up markets and the state has to like set the boundaries for markets. It's like they all know that in, in an implicit way, but the right. I- ideology of classical liberalism that still remains around is like, you know, the specters of old like dialectical materialism, you know, still kicking around out there, stirring up hopes in the world, you know, mortal science. <laughs> well, I suppose regardless of, of independence, you know, right now it's in this colonial relationship with the United States government and and. So long as it is, I mean, I think we can look to the history of neglect and and see that, you know, well, it's pretty clear to me that that the six months without power that a lot of people are going to be facing and things of that nature are, I mean, the blame lies pretty squarely with the United States government. I mean, there's there's no denying that. Yeah, to me, the, the question is whether independence or statehood is a preferable alternative to what the situation is now because it's obvious that the current situation is you know not acceptable and there had to be some kind of change and you know while world communism is not on the map and that would be nice some kind of you know way to alleviate the problem will be pursued and the question comes down to whether full independence or whether statehood within the usa is the better option i honestly think Almost, it almost is as if both would be better than this. I mean, you know, with, yeah, with, both would be better. With, with, integra- with integration, with integration, you have a chance for more investment and more representation. With independence, you have a chance to make a new start. Uh, I mean, anything but this. Well, I mean, at this yeah. point, it seems like given just the sheer infrastructural damage that was done, I, I mean, I've, I've researched this closely, but I got to imagine statehood would be a better shot at this point because. You know, having to basically, literally, at this point now, rebuild your country from the ground up. Uh, it's a tall order. Yeah, I think that um, the factor of economic cooperation makes statehood probably more viable of a solution. Because, you know, starting over completely does, you know, have a, a revolutionary zeal to it. But really, it ends up not being that simple. I, I imagine it would have to... It would depend how it went down, so to speak. But yeah, yeah, definitely there's there's a clearer route to a a healthy Puerto Rico through statehood, at least today in September 2017. Yeah. Well, let's be less abstract I mean, about it. Like, you know, during this, so there's a hurricane. That's why we're talking about Puerto Rico. Like how, what would be, you know, which option would give them more access to resources? Because I mean, you know, Puerto Rico is not the only island that got hit. There's uh, a lot of Caribbean islands and like Turks and Caicos, Dominica. Probably statehood. 
like probably statehood would you know give them access to the federal government's funding and i, I don't really, i don't even really know how to what extent they have like resources there there's not a huge amount of yeah i mean and they would have a lot more leverage in in congress i suppose which how I much mean, does that get you i don't know the the, the united states pro probably not like interested in this like that's too much power to give to a place it does not want to have power doesn't want to embolden people like that. The United States doesn't embiggen the smallest nations. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so, that's the argument for independence is that it's more revolutionary. You know, it would be more of a blow to U.S. power. So, well, I mean, if, if, they could, if they could develop some kind of relations with other countries, they, you know, some sort of trading, some sort of trade agreement, some sort of development deal, something, um, some kind of direct form of aid that would allow them to develop their infrastructure uh, in a way that you know could foster better economic independence, but you don't no, really have so much of so that. Unlikely in, in, Honestly, in if they if they had economy. an independent movement right now that was uh, you know say it's like vaguely left nationalist, I'm sure you could get some sort of foreign power enemy of the United States to funnel aid money in. Get get on that Putin roll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The question is though, even then, is it really going to be that? Oh, dude, we could have a second. We could have a second missile crisis. We got the Puerto Rico yeah, missile Cuba crisis. Puerto Rico could be the Cuba of today. <laughs> How would they stay out of the clutches of the World Bank? Seriously, like, I don't know, dude. I mean, they could just they can do like Gaddafi did and just try to set the gold back currency. Do, do like Gaddafi did, huh? Famous last words. Which brings us to Hillary Clinton's book. What happened? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Story. I, uh, yeah, I, I remember seeing like, um, Farrakhan's thoughts on like the election or whatever. And like, uh, he was like, he's like, Hillary Clinton, that is a wicked woman. He's what? like, she, she killed Gaddafi. He was my brother. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Cause yeah, that's that's why he was mad at her. Cause like he killed Gaddafi and like Gaddafi promised in like the eighties to like give like the nation of Islam money to like start an insurrection in the United No, give him guns to start an insurrection in the United States. And he's I think Adam Curtis talked about call it. in that favor. Yeah. Anyway, um yeah, so Hillary Clinton like it's like this is weird. I mean I guess we could attack this into like our ongoing segment who's running for president this week. Um because basically it's probably Hillary Clinton. Like she's probably running again. Because why else oh, no is that what the is that what the book reveals? Well no I mean, it's sort of it's, it's, it's not that's not in her book, but that's why else would she be writing this? I mean, you know, like she's she's got her speaking fees to like wash her bribe money. I, I disagree. I think it's to save face. Yeah, if it's to save face, though, I mean, save can, face. Can't she just do what every other Democratic loser has done and just kind of like like that's what you know? I mean, John. I guess John Kerry went back to his Senate post. Um, maybe that's what she needs. She needs like a post to go back to. Yeah, there's no. Yeah. What were we gonna say, Grant? Yeah, so I, I guess I got dropped there. Um, what? Well, that's the other thing too. Like this is this this came out like at the same time that like the hurricane was hitting too. It was such like a perfect storm. That that's another <laughs> thing that like on top of it that gave me like these doom feelings. It's like Jesus oh Christ, this shit again. You know it's what like I mean? Hillary Clinton's in the news. The storms are happening. Like nothing gets better. Like there was that meme where it was like um, like uh, a, like the, the West is on fire. There's a Category 5 hurricane headed for Florida. It says, Donald, Hillary Clinton, that Jew from Vermont was mean to me. Donald Trump, <laughs> I'm going to deport a million children. <laughs> like, that's... Really, not really the, the, a big part of Hillary's book was that um, Bernie Sanders was the real enemy and that his attacks on her were, you know, they, they did a lot of damage to her, but basically... <laughs> Well, Probably and you need to. You this need is to, after yeah. Bernie supported her. You really have to yeah. see, like, and and of course, to us, Bernie was just such a sheepdog, you know. For, but he for he, he built his entire life. He built up a something like an independent opposition, the most that exists within like politics, which was by the time he was in the Senate, at least, definitely not 
like totally independent because he just can't make it that far doing that. And he brought it all into the Democratic Party and he put it behind Hillary Clinton's historic loss of the presidency. All of that momentum that he spent his whole fucking life building. Well, and that's the thing, like, it's, she's still complaining about, like, she's still complaining about this, and it's like, his high crime was running against her in a primary. Well, you have to understand her mentality, I mean, so for her, you know, she feels like she got robbed of the election, she still blames Comey in large part, she, I was- Mentality is the will to power, that's it, that's that's it, there's nothing else. I was watching the interview with uh, Rachel Maddow and and she's literally saying, you know, to her, we're sort of an off the cuff comment. You know, she she's she's talking about, you know, oh, you've got these criticisms on the right. And then you've got these ones on the left where you think, is this a Russian troll or a Democrat? Like, that's really how (laughs) I swear to God, she she she's just kind of swept criticism from the left's role in her campaign and the 2016 election when in reality, I mean, in it's an red anti- baiting in an anti-political sense. And I'm not just talking about Bernie here. Part of her failure was criticism from the left. And I don't mean the left as an organized institution, but even the, the sort of leftism of the everyday American like rejected Hillary Clinton. And, and she's willing to just go, oh, these were Russian bots. I think it's just a critique of our personalities. We're communist robots. <laughs> She's saying we're class reductionists. Oh, is that well, what it's quoted as? I think like we really have to understand how much this this centrist wing of the Democratic Party hates this um this kind of I guess what they see as this left wing insurgency. Like they kind of see Bernie populism and trump populism as like almost like the same kind of thing like it's this dangerous political force that you know can't be unleashed because it you know you'll start veering into extremism of either the left or the right and so really centrism has to be maintained at all costs i mean it's telling that uh i guess in her book hillary cites timothy schneider who's this historian who's famous for kind of equivocating the Nazis and the communists and, you know, arguing for, you know, a liberal centrism, basically. And so I guess, I guess for Hillary, it's, it's all about just maintaining this liberal centrism and keeping anything that is a little bit too much to the left or too much to the right from gaining ground, essentially. That, that's even giving her too much credit. She's something of a hawk. Like, uh, She's not even a proper centrist. There's well, it's like it's like the Washington consensus because you get to a point where the Democrats and the Republicans agree on so much stuff. Yeah, including and, imperialism. Uh, including imperialism. Uh, you know, but the only difference is you know, or even on cultural issues the Democrats are starting to concede to the right. It's sort of the fun. Well, they always have, though. Don't ask, don't tell. There's always been concessions to the right. Yeah. It's, well, it's, and it's not even the de- well. There's been improvements, but because of the Supreme Court or something, not because of the Democrat. It's 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 the faux sort of post ideological. We're moving on from history onto the administration of things. Idea that the Democratic Party sort of represents in some sense. I mean, well, and the thing is, like, what they really want and what I think, like, all the sort of Hillbots and all those people want is for it to be 1996. I think, like, for them, like, 1996 was, like, the nadir of history. Like, everything since then has been, like, this. And that was their 1917? Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. For us to render unto their expertise and their technocratic sort of education. Uh, Back when everything made sense. this moment in history where there were no poor people, where there was no crime, where everything was just perfect. Except where, you the know, There's no really, Yugoslavia. Like, go back, go back and watch like some footage of like the 1996 like Democratic National Convention. Like, there's just like this weird like celebratory like you know every it's it's kind of like the celebratory mood that clinton was going for during the campaign but without like the dark undercurrents that existed around it that it seemed like willfully oblivious to you know what i mean like it was, <laughs> we did it, it guys it, it was the communists and the labor it, movement <laughs> it was it was the court of the sun king you know what i mean like it was 
like it like if they could if it's like they just want to live in that moment forever and it's like it that's just not reality anymore well, in the end it, it was kind of the moment when the uh reagan revolution was completed where all of the kind of uh, reforms and whatnot that all the, the complete uh... christopher reeve so eloquently reminded us last night we are all part of one family the American family. At every stop, large and exuberant crowds greeted me, and maybe more important, there were always school children there waving their American flags, all of them believing in America and its future. For that trip showed me that hope is back in America. We are on the right track to the 21st century. Some crowd. I've been watching you doing that Macarena on television. And if I could have your silence, I would like to demonstrate for you the Al Gore version of the Macarena. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Patrick Ellis from Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and a member of the College Democrats of America. I am also a Gulf War veteran, and I feel honored to be here to address you tonight. It was a young president named John Kennedy who spoke of the deeper truths that poetry could convey better than politics and power. There is no clearer proof of that than a show on Broadway than for the first time since a chorus line has won both the Tony and the Pulitzer Prize. The cast of Rent has taken their one night off and flown here on their own. They've come from the great white way to the heart of America. Their song asks a question, how do you measure the moments of a year, even a political year? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the cast of Rent. back against any social democratic aspect of America was really completed by then. And then you had this tech boom. And so a bunch of petty bourgeois got jobs and stuff and, and benefited from that. So you really did have this ideology where finally we've reached a point where just society isn't this conflicting, you know, isn't this thing that's in conflict and fighting each other, but really we're all just consumers buying things we need and enjoying the fruits of that consumer society all in yeah, one like big vulgar time like the body is functioning we've reached it's like it's like liberals think that we reached homeostasis in that yeah we just gotta look we just gotta change the oil on this thing every three thousand miles make sure the fluids are good you know get the struts checked it's gonna be fine you know like <laughs> that, that was like the attitude you know and it's so just we're, all about we're kind of yeah you know it's just a weird kind of demand side conservatism like it's uh you know, from a Keynesian point of view, you know, you're looking at, you know, the point of view of, of the buyer. And if you're not thinking about the government as a big buyer, you're just thinking about consumers. And that's the kind of point of view. It's strangely like, you know, to the left wing of, of the American, you know, like what's taught in economics departments, which is obviously not leftist in an important sense. Well, I mean, in America, there always has been kind of this ideal of the consumer republic that makes sense you know where um right I and mean, then it's sort of it's a weird perversion of the high liberal ideal like you know the, the you know great society era so um i kind of want to talk about juggalos um but before we talk about juggalos, smooth before we talk about juggalos i want to talk about kid rock um, Again. Yeah, you gotta play that. He's basically like giving speeches now before his concerts. Um, and we're starting to get a shape of like what his politics are. And oh god, they're so bad. It's and National they, Socialist Healthcare, right? They are they are as profoundly stupid as you might expect. Well the redistribution of wealth seems more like their plan. 
And I don't believe that you should say, sacrifice, do things by the book, and then have to take care of some deadbeat milk in the system, lazy ass motherfucking man. The issue of struggling single parents is an issue close to my heart. But read my lips. We should not reward these women who can't even take care of themselves, but keep having kid after fucking kid. President Kid Rock in Washington, D.C. Standing on the Oval Office like a G. Holding my dick ready to address the whole country. Um, it's basically like him um, complaining. He's like complaining about deadbeat dads and like welfare queens <laughs> yeah well welfare queens and he says instead of them getting money they should get job training and like child care for free uh and like complaining about like bathrooms and transgender people and he also shouts but he also shouts that he loves black people he goes and i love white people too but neither as much as i love red white and blue <laughs> <laughs> i think uh <laughs> we solved race <laughs> one of them was like uh i hate the nazis and the clan but we all just need to get along. <laughs> well, and what's interesting, though, is I saw this article that pointed something out. Um, like, Kid Rock, Eminem, and ICP were all kind of from the same time and era. They were all from, like, the mid to late 90s Detroit. <laughs> they were all in the same genre. Yeah, like, it's, rock, it's rap, white hybrids. people rap from Detroit. <laughs> yeah, and, like, but they all took different political paths. Like, Eminem is basically, like, shitting on Trump. Trump constantly, like at his concerts now. Kid Rock went like country, like Southern country boy, like red state politics. Third and now the I, and now the ICP is like allied with anarchists and social democrats. Their democratic rights. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so what's everybody's favorite flavor of Fago? I don't honestly. I've never tried. I've never yeah, tried. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I tried the um, root beer kind once, and it was not as good as other brands of root beer. Really? Because Bon Appetit <laughs> rated Fago's root beer very highly. You know. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I guess I just don't have those taste buds of the Fago elite. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But you have a favorite brand because you brought it up. Do you have a favorite? I haven't in a bit. I haven't in a bit. But if I were to pay a dollar for 32 ounces of, of soda, I would want it to be peach Fago. Okay. I mean, um, so what is it about Fago? Like, is it... it it's, I think it's that it's a dollar and that it's 32 ounces. Well, and, and, kind of, It's kind of like the 40 of sodas. It's also like the prime, like the prime audience for Insane Clown Posse is like yeah, don't middle hate. school kids. It's middle school kids. Yeah, there's, uh, there's so adults. they still have like that childish, childish, like don't sugary hate. palate. Oh, come on, don't hate. I mean, there's there's adults that are in, into this, and it's like I don't know. I I, I don't want to shit on this actually there's, because there's, the reason the reason we're talking about it is adults that are like into My Little working, Pony. No, no, but this is like a, a particularly white working class. Like uh, uh, shit, I don't know. I don't even want to say white working class, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's uh it's uh, okay. Here's it's weird. Like, okay, it's like, it's weird like a trailer thing, redneck thing, like poor like a one, poor white like people thing. Like it's like one percent of Americans at most. Okay, so, oh, so it's got, it's not just okay. black juggalos too. Like fuck. Hey, I I I always had good interactions at the uh, at the Frederick Maryland Taco Bell with the guy who had the juggalo uh, fam tattoo on his arm. We were we were bros. So. Look, I, I like here. Okay, first of all, I'm gonna preface all this. I I was friends with juggalos in high school. I associated with juggalos, so I know you know I don't hate juggalos. But um, are you saying you're anti-juggalite? <laughs> okay so first of all this is it's sort of interesting because it seems like juggalos are getting politicized yeah um, i think the left's approach to them is kind of opportunistic though to be yeah honest. i'm, I'm yes. definitely uncomfortable with what's going on here i'm very i don't even know how to talk about it i bet i, I want to cut everything i said <laughs> to this alliance hasn't been very i think sincere i mean not everybody obviously a lot of people went to the a lot of leftists even went to that juggalo march in sincerity but you had also a lot of antifa people uh who showed up and sort of started chanting their own chants not really related to why the juggalos were there which is related to their fbi classification as a gang and and it seems to me that the left just wants to insert itself and sort of you know, okay, the jugglers are in on the meme now. Let's go. And but that's what the left does with everything. That's oh, what, yeah, that's what they the do with everything, with and that's what makes it so fucking. Them. 
That's what makes it so fucking weird because it's it's weird enough to see them do it with her or other like you know marginalized communities, but to see them do it with juggalos and to see some of the same people who go around waving their fingers about how people are white workerists and then turn around and pass statements in solidarity with fucking juggalos is just so absurd. I don't even I don't even know what to say about it. I mean, this yeah. is look at it like this. The left strategy right now is movementism. It's basically whatever mass social movement spontaneously pops up, you and your cadre get involved and try to recruit from it. Yeah, but this is like repeat, this is repeat, repeat. This is like Marcuse ad absurdum, though. Like you know, we're looking for the revolutionary subject for so long. We're thinking maybe it's juggalos. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't think the juggalos are as far from being the revolutionary subject as we are. That's the sad thing. I mean, well, yeah, it doesn't point. matter no. what kind of music you That's listen true. to. Like, what kind of music That's a or given. culture or any of that shit. All that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't determine if you're a revolutionary subject. Right. And so trying to find, like, a revolutionary subject or some kind of revolutionary subculture within the fandoms of various bands well, they're looking. They're it's looking the for the class structural. They're looking for right. They're looking. But yeah, but they're looking for the proletariat in a cultural analog because identity is important. That's why identity politics always comes up. And we are in a weird situation where life seems radically broken with <laughs> with material reality. And you know, maybe it always has been in a way. But I mean, there's something about the digital era that really abstracts us something really alienating about the way we live our lives like yeah but i'm saying is like if we're going to unite people to overthrow the government you know you're gonna have to get i don't know like 25 percent of americans on your side you're not going to get 25 percent of americans you know to become jugglers okay well so here's what's interesting one thing okay so I've, i have a number of thoughts on this <laughs> Because it's weird. What's weird about this is, you know, at least in the CLT, like we've got, always kind of been fascinated with juggalos a little bit, and like we've often joked about like, like, re- like radicalizing the juggalos, and then to see that around this time, like the juggalos suddenly start to get politicized, is really it's really bizarre, um, and it's I'm not sure how much of that is like coming internally out of juggalo culture, and how much of that is like the left trying to like project what it wants onto juggalos you know what i mean like because i i I read stuff and i get the sense that you know like okay so there's like this strain with like of american anarchism that just it's it sees whatever it wants to see on whatever's going on whether it's the ypg whether it's juggalos you know whether it's bernie sand whether it's whatever you know what they are these are people who are convinced it's always going down it's yes. going down. Yes, there's this fucking website called It's Going Down, and anytime something is happening or going down, like it's there's going just like, down. these crazy. They think yeah, it's capital like, G, capital D going down. Like the revolution. Let me just read some of like their down. stuff. Okay, I'm just gonna read a little bit from like an article here from an anonymous contributor. Okay, um, I want to look at. I want to talk about a couple articles. This is gonna talk- sound like it's out of a leftist communique generator. Yeah. Okay. So uh, here's here. This was before the march. Um, from Juggalos to Struggalos, an alliance whose time has come. Now, I'm willing to grant this person a little bit of credit because um, they're they're teenagers when they wrote this, but um, let's look at some of this. Okay. Um, I'm here to blast through the media-fueled, classist, and closed-minded opinions on Juggalo culture and talk about our Juggalos as our allies. Ultimately, I hope that other anarchists like myself will show up to the Juggalo March on Washington and try to make genuine connections with the subculture who should be our natural allies in struggle. Just so you know where I'm coming from, I'm a settler. My family colonized the Appalachian Mountains in the 1600s and hasn't ever really left this spot. I'm 16 and non-binary. Okay, so first of all, I mean, if you've been there for like 400 years, is that, I mean, it seems like you're settled by that point and you're not really a settler, but... I don't want to equivocate too much on language here. Okay. So, like, it's basically... They're trying to own it, whatever. Even if if you're a settler by the sort of post-colonialism definition, throwing that out there as you're in your sort of list of identities doesn't seem... That that just seems kind of a... a, I don't want to use the, the phrase virtue signaling, but but it doesn't seem like it's really about colonized people. It's just about atoning for your personal sin, even yeah, though it's like you're kind not of actively... original sin kind of 
but it's, I, it's I, not, you know what? I, I think it, that stuff. I, I think really that person is trying to say, "Oh, I'm from here," and they're like, "What's?" Well, I'm not. Am I really from there? Am I not really rooted there? And just going ruminating, doing a big process of self doubt. I, I don't even know if it's virtue signaling. It seems like well, I don't, I think sincere in a, in a deep way. It, sure. Well, for sure. All right. Anyway, this is not that important. But I think what it signifies is just kind of how the word settler has kind of lost meaning. Because when I think of settler, I think of the people who are kicking Palestinians out of their homes. Oh, sir. Yeah, like I that. think that's I don't that's think of someone whose family word. goes that's back that. 400 years where they live now. That person is not a settler. But, you know, it's just, it's 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 kind of like making light of what a settler actually is and how bad. Well, yeah. I, do, I do, honestly, I do think that there's a certain post-colonial perspective or an indigenous yeah, political perspective that that could see them as a settler in an abstract way. But well, like you know, a little more is, divorced. That would be. A little this more is a settler republic, from, right? Like yeah, that would be more divorced from morality than I think that person was using it as. But I, I think that there's a validity. That's, that's kind of where I think they're coming from, though. They're trying to say, "Oh, I'm from the Appalachians," but they're just right. They're caught up in a subcultural thing. I don't even know if it's atonement for sin, actually, because they were just saying, "Yeah, I'm non-binary, and I I'm from here." I think they're. I think that's just Tumblr for I'm from here, right? Okay. Fair so enough. anyway, um, so they go on to describe. They offer a definition of juggalo, and this is actually a little bit illuminating. Okay. So what is a juggalo? Juggalo describes folks who are either one follow the white rap group duo Insane Clown Posse from Detroit, or two identify as a member of a family of thousands who gather to drink Fago soda and feel as if they finally have somewhere to fit in. ICP was started by two working class white kids in the late '80s who just wanted just that somewhere to fit in. Since then, juggalo culture has spread from the Midwest and become a large and interesting community of mostly poor outcasts. For years, this was a majority white and male subculture, probably due to misogyny in the lyrics. However, in the last while, juggalo subculture has had a growing amount of women, LGBTQA, and people of color at the family gatherings. Um, it's blossomed to be more accepting of people outside the original fan base of ICP. And so they basically kind of describe it as somewhere between like the people who follow fish and maybe kind of like the rainbow family gathering, essentially. Um, but it sounds about accurate, actually. Yeah, and so it's basically centered, but centered around um, insane clown posse. Um, and they talk about like the body positivity of juggalo culture. Um, there's a sense of security for women there, you know, even though because even though dudes will often yell like "show us your tits" and stuff like that, blah 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 blah. Um, and so that that kind of like sets the tone of the sort of coverage that they've had of this. Um, and that is what kind of read like the follow-up of this is like the report back now. Okay. Um, those of us who attended the juggle March did not do so in any official capacity or on behalf of the various organizations of which we're members. Statements of support for the jugglers have been contentious issues within some of these revolutionary organizations, with some of our comrades objecting to the oppressive behavior condoned within ICP's lyrics. Those of us who did attend the rally march, however, Decided to want to stand in solidarity with a largely working class population that is being uh, directly subjected to state repression. Um, it is worth noting that radicals within juggalo culture are already making progress confronting patriarchy, trans misogyny, and other oppressive behavior in their family. Those circus are trying to push other jugglos to more explicitly anti fascist, feminist, pro queer, and anti capitalist line. Members of Struggle of Circus were present at the march, and several jugglos had came adorned with red and black anarchist and socialist regalia from classical CNT militia hats from the Spanish Civil War to black and red face paint. A few jugglers even carried red and black flags during the actual march. One wobbly and member of the DSA arrived early, along with one of his good friends from high school who had been active in the juggler family for almost 20 years and passed out free pizza and fago. Blah, 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 blah. So it's like they're basically just like celebrating like the LARPing, like the fact that like juggalos have like started to LARP and the fact that like some people have done like entryism into the community to try to like bring identity politics to like juggle. I mean, I, I, I had no idea how successful this is going to be, but it, the whole thing just strikes me as being really, I don't know. It's really fucking weird that like, they're basically trying to like, they're actually trying to like recruit juggalos. <laughs> Well, yeah, it just seems like it's it's too much of like a cultural definition of class when like honestly is is like any musical subculture is probably a majority working class, but like it doesn't 
I don't think all juggalos are like salt of the earth pearls. Like a lot of these people might just, you know, just be middle class kids from the suburbs. Because, you know, that's my background. And I knew plenty of kids who were into Insane Clown Posse too, who weren't exactly, you know, trailer park lumping proletarians, you know. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're if you're realistic about it and you just see the Juggalos as a small interest group to align with or something, go for it. But I think really you have to meet them, meet them where they're at and so on, rather than trying this sort of entryist projection of our left ideals onto this community and things like that. And and also you have to know that they're not the revolutionary subject capital letters at the beginning of yeah. each of those words. Well, we should be willing to organize with fans of any band. Like, you know, I'll organize with fans of Disturbed, if it means, you know. Like, well, there is, you know. there is something, I mean, the, the like the ICP have cult, you know, they are sort of like fish or sort of like the rainbow family or whatever. It's like a weird hybrid between those two things that makes it a little bit different from like most like band-based music fandoms. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the ICP fandom, there is something different about it. Like it's not like people were to Dave Matthews. You know there I mean? is a collectivist undercurrent, I guess. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, yeah, when you think about it, there's maybe like three kinds of very super meaningful experiences. There's like religious stuff, there's revolutionary stuff, and then there's this like kind of, you know, something that like attaches itself to the commodity form, like a sports team or, or a big or a big band that has a following like this or like a Burning Man or something. Well, kind of yeah, but I, I think that, ICP, I don't know. There, there's a, a real social component to it, I think. Well, that's what kind of bothers me about the leftist interest in it. It seems to be the Trojan horse through which, like, a weird kind of touristy hipster milieu will come into it and, and like, kind of water down whatever leftists we're looking for because it's sort of a weird parasitic vanguard presence of class stuff. It makes me, makes, makes me nauseous. Yeah, well... And it's like, yeah, it's like, how can how can we piss in this pot, or you know, how can we? Yeah, well, wow, look, the, wow, look, the working class is finding some family. Shame if somebody popped it. Vice magazine, five articles, go, <laughs> go, I mean, go, I go. Like the, I understand the fascination with it, but um, it's should have lost my train of thought. Oh well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I go you're saying. Oh yeah, it's it just comes off as kind of opportunistic and just chasing whatever kind of pops up at the moment, you know? It's just, yeah. I mean, the left right now, it's all of its ideas are downstream of culture. It makes it gives me DuPont feelings that, like, what's there is, like, counterproductive. And what, what people are doing is, you know, makes, like, the... Makes, you know, people that are, you know, in the proletariat kind of looking for a community that are really watch their backs, like, makes them maybe, I don't know. If I was in that, and then I saw the way that the left was acting with Juggalos, I get it would set off my alarm bells. I would see red flags, not like Paris Commune, Stalingrad, but red flags, like the metaphorical kind, like Ersatz community red flags. Well, it's weird. What's weird is like to see people taking it like as seriously as they're taking it, and because like you know the Juggalo demands or whatever are pretty narrow and pretty specific to their interest. They basically just don't want to be on the FBI gang list anymore because that has impacts if you get arrested or anything like that like that's not like a sweeping demand but I mean, at the same the time it seems like every other com- it could be a jump off for more is, yeah, exactly. like, anti-police state stuff if right. leftists are smart well it's yeah i mean well it's like it seems like you know every component of the culture is becoming politicized and it seems like this is just something that's you know one more step in that march if that makes any sense you know um i like, mean they I'm, should they should be convincing juggalos about broader police state stuff based on their own interests like felt interests as juggalos or whatever if they really yeah, want to engage with I this think, but I, are they I, are they doing that i think we shouldn't be in, like leftists shouldn't be engaging with them as juggalos but as <laughs> proletarians you mean, you mean as human beings yeah or as human I'm, beings i mean i don't th- i don't think the, le- the le- here's the thing the left doesn't believe in human beings <laughs> That's like meaningless abstraction to, to the left because they're monsters. Oh yeah, I <laughs> forgot. Because <laughs> I because it's totally like a to me it just seems like a psychotic like rejection of you know like <laughs> the idea of interpersonal human dignity. Seems obviously personally motivated. I don't know how to connect that intuition. It's you know not relevant for analysis, but it's always something that pops up. You know what bothers me too about this juggalo thing is 
at the end of the day, too, they're, it, what's funny is they're better anti-fascists than us. Lexi, I was talking to you about this. Um, the, the, the three percenters came from the sort of nearby Trump event, showed up and started trying to sort of start it their sort of usual spectacular thing with the left. And the juggalos scared them off by chanting, show us your buttholes. And they just left. They were like, what the fuck is this? And they left. <laughs> so I, I just, you know, I think that is a takeaway for us, perhaps, uh, that, as you said, Lexi, once, it, it's better when the clowns are making fun of them than when you give them the dignity of a noble opponent. I mean, I under, I'm not going to say that's universally... Well, yeah, I don't want to draw too much out of that because you have to be a clown to do that. If you're, I guess if you're on the left, you might look like a clown, but you're not doing it intentionally. Well, and, and also, no, I, mean, I think I think "show us your buttholes" is actually a common like chant that they do. So <laughs> they like they, they could have said that to anybody. They could have just thought those were people showing up to the group. You're right. Yeah, but I mean, it kind no, of there's. <laughs> I mean, it kind of shows that like you know maybe it's the best way to deal with some of these neo-fascists. It's just by mocking them, you know. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying. Not in every instance. Not, not in like an Alec Baldwin like satire kind of way, though. Like you well, have to be conf- kind of confrontational about it. Well, yeah, but yelling, "Show me your butthole!" At them. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that is. That's, that's pretty. Funny. That's not Alec Baldwin. Yeah, that is funny. It's not, <laughs> not Alec Baldwin. It's not like a detached like critique or something. Yeah, it's that, like that, just that, it's, run, like it's running up to them and saying, "Show us your butthole." It's, di- it's very different than yeah, eat, eating some like, cake and writing in. Yeah, the yeah. The the, fu- the fucking the hillbots would make like butthole hats and like make it into, like, a thing <laughs> and just make <laughs> it completely ruined. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm exactly. not saying doing like detached hipster way where it's like, "Oh, we're so cool, and you're also so lame." Like, you know, just <laughs> it has. I mean, it will only come from people. It can only come from people like who don't care about being cool. If it's going to be good, yeah. Well, it would be nice if people just stop caring about being cool entirely. But I'm sorry, that's a spectacle, though. And I just want to. I just want to bookend this entire conversation by saying, like, my issue isn't with juggle. Like, my issue is more with the left. And you know what they could potentially. It's just embarrassing when they just handle it. Like some people have done great with it. Like some people have actually gone and just been like, "Hey, here's some. Here's the, you should talk to the National Lawyers Guild. You know, they'll help you out if you have legal problems." Right. You know, that's a, it, that's a human way of dealing with that. Yeah. Ha- or ha- giving out free fago, you know, stuff like that. But like, what's driven me nuts is more more like groups passing statements on it. And like anarchists trying to do the same kind of agitation where they insert themselves into any social space and just try to be the most agitating, the most hardcore, you know, people. Instru- just- they try to instrumentalize the social space. That's what they yeah, do. Exactly. They just try exactly. to use the shit out of it. Exactly. It's theirs to use. It's their space. They deserve it. Well, that's neo-Bakuninism for you. That's it for this week. We are currently taking suggestions for future items to read and discuss on the show. So if you have anything, you can leave us a message on Facebook, or the SoundCloud for that matter, um, or you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, or give us a like on Facebook. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. <coughs> Sorry, got a, got a little choked up there. Which I always do every time whenever I think of revolution and the bright, gleaming communist future that sits before us. Even though, you know, like a lot of the stuff in the episode was kind of a downer. I mean, communism will win. Never forget that. Communism will win. I'm fucking serious. Communism's gonna fucking win, okay? If you know what's good for you, you'll get on the right side right now, okay?
You got some money? You better fucking send us some money. Cause we're making a list, bitch. You better fucking think twice. Cause we're checking it twice. And have you been naughty? Or have you been nice? It's a fucking guillotine, motherfucker.